0: The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash Bill Risser, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's AdWorks.com slash bill risser
1: agents have to realize that they're more than just sell uh, people right that they, you know that they have purpose as an agent you have a tremendous purpose and um, in, in that you're useful not only to the business to the industry to the real estate industry but you're useful to your community you're useful to your neighborhood you know you, you are the, the anchor of it all
0: Welcome to The Real Estate Sessions, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Episode 98 of The Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for finding us. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for leaving a review or a rating. It's how this little show continues to grow, and I really appreciate it. Uh, I'll tell you what I really appreciate is our guest for episode 98. This is somebody that I have not talked to until this moment. I've known of him. (laughs) I've been present. Yeah. His name is Billy DiCofo. He's with Century 21 Redwood back in the, we'll call it the nation's capital area, Virginia, Maryland, DC. And I'm so excited to get his, yeah, so excited to get his story. Uh, so Billy, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Bill. Um, I feel like I'm talking to a mirror, so which is great. Um, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>
1: you know, uh, but yeah, it's such a pleasure, and, and I appreciate you for sharing.
0: Yeah. Well, let's. I'm going to get right into this. You know, the, the the genesis of this podcast was to find out people's stories, kind of an origin mm-hmm. story, right, for everyone. And right. And you have um one that's unique. And we'll start right from the beginning. You were you were born in the United States to Congolese parents, right? So you're a U.S. citizen. Yes. Right. Yes. But you grew up in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And indeed, I, I'm going to guess that a vast majority of listeners really don't know what that's like. And we'd love to just get kind of a talk about life there in the DRC.
1: Okay. Um, so, yes, I was born from Congolese parents in the United States. And so my dad was a grad student in Indianapolis, Indiana. So go Hoosiers. Um, and yeah, when my mom finally was able to come here and be with him and a couple of months after that, I was born and, um, a year or so after my birth, we all went to France because dad went to get his PhD in Strasbourg. And so we lived in France for five years and then right in the mid eighties, we all flew back to the Congo, um, the main cap, the, well, to the capital of Kinshasa. And so, um, you know, by all accounts, the Congo was uh, – it's an interesting place to live, right? And so think of your typical uh, third-world country, uh, but with some um, – I would say some perks, right? So we had – at least at the time, we had a, a huge um, expat presence uh, or expat population in the Congo. And so and it was basically divided into, you know – entertainment and lifestyle with you know for expats and so they had access to several other things and then you know the rest of us basically the people living around that type of um i was i used the word wealth but it wasn't really wealth it was just opportunities and so my dad was working for a private university in the capital of kinshasa and so um, as part of that um, employment We basically stayed on one of the university campuses, which just happened to be in one of the uh, affluent neighborhoods in the the capital. And so we are very much growing up exposed to, you know, um, expats living around us. So we had French, um, the American school in Kinshasa was not too far from home. Um, We never really went there because we didn't speak English, but, you know, we had a family friend that stay on that campus and so uh, but you know that was basically it so we grew up um, let's say we my family and i we stay there um, and there were some you know issues like third world country issues like one day the power would go out and so we had no power and then um you know the electricity will go out so we had no electricity for a couple of days so we had to cook on charcoal that type of things uh, public transportation was always a pain so the only way to, you know, make it from point A to point B was, you know, you had to have your own personal transportation. You could take public transportation, but just be uh conscientious of the fact that it was harsh, <laughs> right? And so, uh, but yeah, dad had a car. And when we needed to go somewhere as a family, he drove us. And we usually walk to school and back. And so that, that was it. Um, life was harsh. To some extent, but you know, I was surrounded by my family and my friends, and the, the thought of going to the U.S. at some point was there, but it wasn't it wasn't a pressing need. I had a pretty good so, but you know, we grew up under a dictatorship, and I think this is pro- probably one of the the most significant uh, things about my childhood is that you know, when you have a dictator, a sitting dictator, things tend to be different in the country. We went to school wearing uniforms and singing his praises before going to class. Right, so you yeah. literally singing the praise of the human being. Um, in some parts of the country, it was even worshipped. Right, and so um, and then you could you, can, you didn't have the freedom of speaking negatively against the um, the, the political the party in charge. It, it was just one party at the time. So you know every enemies quote-unquote of the parties will be you know uh, dealt with and so the people that tend to rise into affluent position in the country were very close to the presidential circle so it it was it was interesting in that sense but the other interesting part about it is that people complain about the harsh life but you know we just we just thought that was the way of the world (laughs) right democracy to us was just more of an afterthought it's like oh okay this is what happens in the u.s and westernized civilization. Here we have basically, you know, a dictator and his people are running the show and if we can make it by on a day to day basis, that's okay. So
0: that's what you knew growing up, right? I mean that's so that's it. It's your normal. Right.
1: Yeah. And that, that was the that was the normal and you know it's
0: you know it, it seemed con- it
1: seems convoluted now, but the normal at the time was basically, you know, don't make a lot of noise politically. Go to to work you know my parents go to work or my dad i should say go to work come back provide for your family and get your salary go to church um, and you go to school yeah. right so that was that was abnormal um mm-hmm. anything beyond that we we tried you know very hard to stay away from it so well
0: that's the congo in a nutshell i was fortunate enough to be at Inman connect in san francisco last summer You uh, gave a powerful, emotional talk that, to be quite honest, has me using different words when I talk to people today. And so, I mean, but it was also special for another reason. Can you kind of summarize? uh, We'll call it a wonderful day in August of 2016. (laughs) So, yeah. So uh, let me preface this because um, I think it's serendipitous
1: that this episode is titled episode 98. Because 1998 was where things got interesting personally for me. That's when I left the Congo to come to the U.S. And so, um, and I was evacuated from the Congo because of the uh, the war uh, that essentially happened. And so, uh, but yeah, back to August. Uh, so Brad Inman asked me to kind of share my story in a TED style format, and so I did. In the meantime, and I didn't know this, uh, my wife was uh, collaborating with um, the heads of Century 21 um a couple of people from Century 21 Corporate, and Brad and man and his team. And they all pulled this um, amazing thing. Like They got three-quarters of my family from the Congo, my direct family, um, to come to San Francisco. They raised the money, they fought for the visas, um, and they planned it all out. And I had absolutely no idea. So I'm presenting at Inman, and I finish my presentation. Brad Inman comes on stage, looks at me and says a couple of words, and then he asks me in front of the entire audience, how long has it been since I've seen my family? And I kind of looked at him, and I said to myself, well, you should know that answer because this is in preparation for this, you and I have been talking about this. So I, don't, I didn't understand why he wanted me to answer that question. And the fact of the matter is that it's been 18 years since all of us have been together in one geographical space. And so then he turns around and says, "Well, guess what?" And then brings up my mom, dad, my youngest brother who I haven't seen since he's since he was four years old. I was 24 years old. You know, my older brother who now lived in or lives in Charlotte, um, North Carolina. They form him up there too. I mean it was just craziness. So we, we were all there. Um my sister couldn't make it couldn't make this trip because she was too far along in her pregnancy and so um she stayed behind. But still all of us were just there, um on stage at Inman and so um I couldn't comprehend what we, what just happened, but it was a beautiful chaotic moment and so it, it was quite the day. Yeah, I can't I can't think Redwood and uh, Century 21 corporate and Brad and his team for what they've done because that was not even, it was not on my radar. They just put it that way.
0: Yeah. It it was a a very few dry eyes in the house. Uh, It was, (laughs) it was, that was a very cool moment that they, they put together. So let's, well, let's get back to real estate. Your path to the world of real estate is definitely different. Like, like Mm -hmm. many, many in the industry, very few people go to school thinking, I'm going to be a realtor. <laughs> and I think <laughs> you're, you're one of those. So tell us your path.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, full disclosure, the real estate was not even on my radar. It was more of an afterthought. So I started out in international education, which is when, you know, as part of a university staff, you welcome international students to the U.S., and basically advise them on their rights and responsibilities as a non-immigrant here in the U.S., right? And so, and then I moved from that to work for a local media company in the North Lake Virginia Beach area. And then I was laid off from that work, um, which, you know, was unfortunate, but pushed me to, you know, kind of explore this whole media, media thing from, you know, a different perspective so i was i was contracting for work but nothing substantial was happening um because it was, you know norfolk virginia beach is just not the market for media like you need to be in a big metropole like new york or you know on the west coast and probably nashville to some extent but we weren't there financially um and we couldn't make the move ourselves so i had to find out something that will you know Caused me to gain further training and hopefully excel in, uh, well, excel professionally. And the only way I knew how to do this, after multiple counsel with people, was to go back to business school and get an MBA, and so, which I did. So I put my my life on hold for two years, went full time and got my MBA. Graduated, um, and a, shortly after graduation, my wife was able to get a job in Northern Virginia. So in uh, Leesburg, Virginia, and so that prompted did to move. So the thought process was, well, we're going to move, move there. We're going to stay with our parents because they live in Manassas, Virginia, um, also in Northern Virginia. Um, save about a little bit of money. My wife had had a job, and um, I was going to find work, and after that, we were going to move to our place, and life would would have been happy. Well, that's not what ended up happening. Seven months later, after trying to find work and failing continuously to secure said employment, my father-in-law said, well, Billy, I think you should consider selling real estate. And I gave him probably the strangest look ever. Uh, In my mind, I was thinking that there's no way I went to business school and incurred all those debts to sell real estate. I didn't want to earn my living on commission. Um, at least at that time, that's what I thought real estate was about. But then he kept on insisting, and it was like, you know, you can utilize your entrepreneurial training um, that you got in business school, and you know, and I will help you. And so um, he did, and I got licensed in um, December 2013, and in January 20, 2014, I joined Century 21 Red Realty as a brand new agent. Um, brand new in the industry, knew nothing of sales, knew nothing of selling homes. Just someone that just joins the industry, and that that was it. You know, when I went to get my MBA, I wanted to work in international development, and I wanted a career that I felt like was, you know, utilizing business and sort of a you know business slash nonprofit hybrid, and international development was that middle ground for me, um, but. There was just no opportunities. And, you know, in the end of the day, real estate happened. And little by little, I came to find out that everything I wanted in the career, real estate ended up being the conduit for it. I think even at that time, being in a company that gave me the tools and the training necessary to make me a good agent was key. Um, And I shared this during my presentation at Inman that, you know, when I joined the company, There was no such things as new agent training like we have today, and so at every at at any given point, the company had to make a conscientious effort on who they brought in as an agent. And to this day, I don't really know what they saw (laughs) in me in me because I had absolutely no experience in sale. You know, a degree is fine to get in real estate, but you know, you need the sale experience, like the selling experience. That's that's your street cred, right? And so and I had none. Yet they were like, you know, we think we can do something with you. Um and so they brought me on board. And so that's you know, I will never understand the rationale behind that decision, but I'm so thankful they did.
0: I've I've had conversations with A B before at imminent events. Uh, just an amazing guy. And what he, Nick and Sean have put together there is pretty special. So great choice of brokerage. Good job there, Billy. Well thank you. <laughs> It's just a great place. But let me let me ask you this. You've you've moved along since then. You've 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 yeah. progressed into a new role and I want to go back to that imminent speech because this is the part I mentioned in my opening where you asked a simple question see yes. a lead or a person? And mm-hmm. and I, I have really worked hard to take the word lead out of my vocabulary because my job is to <laughs> not easy, but I'm working on it. I'm using future customer a lot. So um but I think that. It's it's such a powerful statement. It's a very simple statement but very powerful in the way you approach things. Talk about that. Mm-hmm. What that means. Well, it's a good question
1: and you know, I I'm I'm there with you too, Bill. Like it's hard for me to stop using the word lead constantly. Uh, and I think part of it is because it was so it's so ingrained into our industry that, you know, sometimes when you say prospect people don't really know what you're talking about, but when you say lead they're like, "Okay, I get it." You know, and so you're trying to find ways to still connect with people, but make them think beyond just the actual word, right? Look be- beyond the numbers, the, the the email address and the phone number, or the the social media profile, and actually try to see a person. That actually stems from my personal story, right? And so when Brad asked me to present at Connect last summer, um, he wanted me to share my personal story, so I had to find a way to connect with a real estate audience. And, you know, if I thought of myself as a real estate story, right, what would my story look like? What would it be like? And I I kept coming back to the idea of being a lead and how I was treated or how I see myself. And, you know, to some extent, some of us in the industry, how we treat the lead, how we talk about it, at some point it's just a number, you know, and it has a, an assigned value to it. You know, whether it's a 150k to 6.1 million, you know, whatever it is, like we tend to, you know, there's an affinity there to the to the numbers, but not to the person. And so, as I was crafting my story um, for my presentation, that's what kept I kept coming back to. And then, you know, to put it in simple terms, if I was treated as a lead when I got here, I would have been discarded right from the get-go. Like, keep in mind that I didn't speak the language, so I, I was no no fluency in English whatsoever. Um, you know, when I was trying to reach family friends after being evacuated, traveling for almost two weeks, um, I called their office from a payphone. And so, if you were looking at the number and you were answering my call at that moment, you would have seen a payphone, an 800 number, and you would have heard a guy who spoke no English. <laughs> Oh, by the way, who just happens to be broke, um, and has no place to stay and has no social media presence whatsoever. I wasn't, you know, I was non-existent by any metric, by any, um, credentials. I was nothing, absolutely nothing. And so that's basically the way sometimes as an industry, we look at leads, right? It's like if it, if it doesn't have the right contact information or if one, you know, if I can't, for some reason, if the phone doesn't work, no, it's a bad lead. I can't work with it. Even though there's an email, you can probably find them on LinkedIn or something like that. And so we tend to discard people um or leads just by virtue of one metric. Versus there's more to people than that. And so my, my take or my direction was basically to say, look, instead of saying lead, how about we say people? You know, the person that finally took my call when I, when I called from that payphone didn't consider me as a bad set of number. They just saw that there was a guy, or he just saw that there was a guy on the phone speaking French, maybe looking for something, and he was I guess he had this awareness to just look around and say, hey, is anybody in the office speak French? What about you, Etienne? Like, You speak French. Uh, I think this guy is on the phone. Uh, Maybe he needs some help. And literally, that was what that that was how everything started. <laughs> you and I are talking today because someone literally took the time not to discard me um, when I called, and they wanted to help me on the phone. And that's that's my
0: approach to leads management in real estate. I'm going to ask you a, kind of a so dig in a little bit into the C21 philosophy on things, uh, the C21 yes. Redwood philosophy, right? What are some of the ways you generate uh, new customers? <laughs> we'll try real hard here. I know that you're. I've, I've read where you consider yourself a matchmaker, where you take this yes. this person who comes in and you go, I've got the perfect person to help you. you. There's a. Yes. It's a big operation at C21 Redwoods. So, first of all, how are those yes. how are those new customers coming in the door? And talk about your process of hooking them up with the right person.
1: Perfect. So. How are we gathering new customers? Well, there's a couple of ways we do it. We spend a lot of resources developing our own website. So c21redwood.com, independent of the website that we get from, you know, the parent company, Century 21. And so our owners, Shannick and Eddie, you know, with Eddie's guidance, because he's the marketing guru, basically invested a whole lot of time and resources building that website, which is tremendous because we have lead capture um, tools in there, right? And then we have neighborhood pages as well, um, for most of the counties that we service. So this is great because, you know, it allows the agents and the staff, right, to have information about the market, also coupled with neighborhood specific content. So at any given point, if someone wanted to know what's going on in the specific neighborhood, we, staff, or our agents can literally just grab a page from our website. That caters to that neighborhood, the real estate information, and just send it to them. You know, either branded from the company side or branded as an agent side. And on the company side, we do, we have outgoing cam- campaigns that utilizes those pages too. And so sometimes on social, sometimes when we, you know, when our staff writes a couple blogs about a certain neighborhood, or whatever you have, we have links to it. And so, you know, naturally speaking, people will gravitate towards that. And I would say the second way our agents are quite involved in the community they serve. And so naturally, having the name C2N1 Redwood associated with a couple events in the community. As a matter of fact, today, the sales meeting we had in one of our offices in Loudoun County was canceled because one of our agents was putting on a golf tournament to benefit a nonprofit that he's so involved with. And so, you know, everything about golf tournament, or I would say just about everything, is Brandon Redwood. Just sheer sight, people have the ability to just see our name and think real estate think Redwood, which is great. It's a way of attracting people to you and I will say probably lastly we i believe you know the owners of our company and some other people as well, and generally speaking we're very much we're pretty involved into in the industry both on the local level and on the national level. that in itself also is a way of attracting people to us and so that's it. And I guess your second question was the idea of a matchmaker. Yeah. So the matchmaking part is, um, it, it really stems from, um, you know, the overall mission of a department. Um, at the end of the day, for me and for the people in the Legion department, it's about providing opportunities for our agents, um, whether it's a rental, a listing or a buyer prospect. And really it's ensuring, ensuring that that opportunity has the potential to blossom into future business. And so, the, you know, to me, this is what brings me to work. This is why we get up every day. It's like, how can we make opportunities for our agents? Not, you know, for every one of them. Um, and, you know, depending on the opportunities that come in, or depending on the amount of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use the word, my favorite word, leads, <laughs> that come in for the day, you know, what does it look like? It, it ha- does it have the potential to make an agent's uh, business better? And so we spend a lot of time vetting those prospects. On one hand, you spend a lot of time talking to prospects on the phone via email. And then you also connect it to your agents um, as well. And myself and Kelly Posaki, we've been agents with the company for a while. So we have a certain knowledge of the agents and who practices in what area and, you know, that type of things. And so. As you do this longer, you tend you, you can also you can almost see the common thread between any given prospect coming in and then the agent that's best suited to help them. Um, and then you make the match and you reach out to the agent. You basically tell them it's like I think there's a great opportunity here for you. Um, and then I don't think people realize that most of the time company generated business uh, comes at I would say probably at a very reduced commission opportunity right and so and i said this before you know to me it's if i'm gonna ask any one of our agents to work for substantially probably less than what they could earn on their own business well i need to make sure that my my end of the bargain is actually pretty good and so we make appointments uh, and we call the agents after we make the appointment and after the prospect has been Talk to, we have records of conversations or, you know, sometimes phone calls, and we can show the agent that, hey, we actually had a decent conversation with any prospect. Here's the thread of the email. Um, Here's what they're looking for. And the point of it is for them to move the sale forward, not just restart it again. Uh, Just to take, carry that, you know, information and move forward, meet with the clients, uh, and then carry the process. The best compliment that we ever, that we always receive is when an agent comes back and say, hey, you know, Billy or Kelly, how did you guys know that it will work out? These people are fantastic. We're really connected. Um, you know, they're referring business to me. As a matter of fact, I have another, you know, whatever it is. And that, to me, that's the win, right? And to be able to have orchestrated that relationship and see it blossom. Like, that's the reason why we do this. And so um I don't come in with the expectation of just, you know, crank up leads every day and you know, hoping for the best. No, I haven't you know my interest is seeing every single one of our agents succeed. I love the stories because it, you know, sometimes it, it makes our department look like we're a bunch of magicians. And you know, we are, we are. Yeah. Um and we you know, we love the magic we do and you know and I think it stems for our genuine desire to help. Every single one
0: of our agents. That's a very unique position that you and Kelly hold. Um, I've only come across that a couple of times, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the world of a brokerage, right? Because that's I've seen it on teams. You have maybe a lead, you know, coordinator that really cultivates and works on. But boy, t- to see that at a big brokerage level, that's very impressive. So, how, how does social yeah. media work into all that for 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 you and your team?
1: We have some Facebook ads go
0: and promote some of the, the neighborhood pages we
1: have there, you know, just to spare, to spare some interest. Um, and it has yielded some interest. You know, sometimes we put good contents on Twitter, you know, and then we have a Facebook page, a public Facebook page, so where we also utilize, you know, some of our original content or company announcements and, you know, open to the general public and then, you know, we're pretty good about following up with, you know, anyone that has any remote interest in real estate or purchasing or leasing or whatever that's that's a good portion of what we do um personally i would say to me it's it's more about you know engaging people to have with the hopes of having a one-on-one with them like a face-to-face interaction and so independent of what we do as a department to me it's this this has become my goal it wasn't in the beginning um, i thought social media was more of a you know, how many raving fans can you gather in one place and, you know, how many friends can you have compared to the other person? But I think in my personal journey of maturing, um, you know, it's become very obvious that, you know, social, at least to me, social media, I use it to generate opportunity to actually have one-on-one conversations with people, uh, be able to meet face-to-face. Um, and so I, I make it a point now that, you know, anybody that I connect with, or at least I try, you know, if I know that they they are in the industry um and, you know, they've indicated that they'll be one of the, you know, either an inman or an AR or another conference that I just happen to be there, like I I make it a point to at least have some time with them. Um And to me, you know, what starts on social carries through one-on-one and then the social interaction after that to me, has a deeper
0: level um, or a deeper meaning. So that's the way I use it. You also value corporate social responsibility. You've talked about that in some articles mm-hmm. and things. What does that look like in the world of real estate?
1: I think this is like the $100,000 question. You know, what does social responsibility look like in our industry? And um, you could make the argument Bill, that real estate, in fact, that selling real estate um, is the single greatest socially responsible thing to do. And I will say you're right um, to some extent. But like by every measure out there, the real estate industry hasn't really delivered on that specifically. And when I say that, I mean, you know, we're very good about marketing ourselves, and agents and brokerage included into how we benefit people. We're helping them with the American dreams. And we're very good about promoting those happy moments on social and bragging about that, bragging about an agent selling insane amount of homes and, you know, being marketing ourselves or branding ourselves as top agents or top brokerages. But I don't think we, you know, for all the goods that we think we do, and, you know, there's some people that do extremely good things. You know, we have, Community ambassadors at Redwood and they're out there looking for opportunities to serve the communities. That's the side of the business that I think does not get recognized um, and gets drawn pretty often to the point that that messaging is only on the surface level for the non real estate world. And so, and that's the, to me, that's the mismatch, right? And so we say we do good and we actually have things where we, we actually do good but collectively as an industry uh, the public hasn't really acknowledged what we do and i think part of the reason is because we have not made that a big deal and i'm and i'm not saying you know we should brag about the quote unquote social good we do i'm just saying making it as it, an ingrained part of our industry you will find a couple instances where brokerage or, you know, real estate companies have done some good. Like they have the one day where they serve. Um, example, Cal Williams has Red Day, you know, where they, they go in the community and they help with the special project. You know, and it, but it's one day. It's not continuous. And so social needs are on a continual basis. And so if you just spend one day to just try to cater to one and then the rest of the year showing the many houses that you sell and The happy pictures you know that's great but it doesn't communicate to the world that you value where they are um, and that you care about where they are in terms of uh, that you care so much about them that you're trying to make them better make the society better uh, you know make your community better so that's to me that's the biggest mismatch in the industry right now and the only way you know, and I'm thinking through this too, um, personally and for my, you know, for our business, for our agents. And I think the biggest opportunity, um that's out there right now is agents have to realize that they're more than just sales sell, people. Right? That they, you know, that they have purpose. As an agent, you have a tremendous purpose, uhm, and, and that you're useful. Not only to the business, to the industry, to the real estate industry, but you're useful to your community. You're useful to your neighborhood. You know, you, you are the, the anchor of it all. You know, think, and, and I made this argument to a couple of agents in, in my company, in our company. Think about how many businesses crosses real estate. In fact, think about how many touch points you as an agent can have with all kinds of businesses. And so you are, you know, you're the (laughs) cornerstone, right? And so that's, but I don't think the industry as a whole value, or at least we're not pushing that message through all of our agents. Um, And and I'm not saying we should inflate their ego. This is just a realization that we need to have that we we are more than the house we sell, or the houses we sell, the homes we sell. And
0: then once we get hold of that notion, I think amazing things will happen. That's a big, grand, noble gesture, but you're right. It, it starts. It's going to be a grassroots kind of a thing, right? It's going to start yeah. at a brokerage like yours, and then it'll go to another brokerage, and then maybe a big company will embrace. And so I think that's wonderful. Um, so. Yeah, and it's
1: look. This is something we
0: wrestle with every day, right?
1: So I, I don't know. No bro. No real estate brokerage I know likes to remain small. So everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants more business. You want to be the you know, the dominant face in the marketplace. That, that's great. And we have the same aspirations. But how do you do it not at the expense of who you are, of your heart as a company? You know, Redwood's heart has always been about the community. It's always been about making the agents better with everything. Um, and it's why none of the people in the top management are selling because we made that re- a requirement. We wanted people that were, that were fully dedicated. To their mission Um, and not to say that those ones that do sell are any less of leaders Um, you know i know some people that sell and they manage company just you know fantastically that's not the case but for us you know in order to be true to our mission it required us not being distracted and so we need to be 100 percent focused on you know growing the company but not at the expense of being Involved in our communities, both on the local level and and on the national level, in real estate and beyond. And so that was that was the many one of the many sacrifices we made. And you know, every day it's not easy, right? Um, you know, that's not every day. No, it, it's not. It's just this is the anchor point when you, you get back to it and say, you know, what keeps me motivated? And it's like, you know, I, I want to make. I have a vested interest in people. I have a vested interest in community. And that's where, my, that's our goal. Like we, you know, agents that do well in the business, um, have the ability to turn around and make their communities better. You know, you struggle less with your business. If your business is well handled and you have a nice way of managing the inflow and the outflow of your business. And, you know, that frees you up from. Well, it freezes you up to do amazing things. And that's what I want. And I think collectively that's what we want too.
0: Billy, I've had you here for well over the half hour I asked you for. So I'm going to no, okay. I'm I'm give you the final question, the same final question I've given every single guest on the podcast. And that is, yep. if you could give a new agent just getting started one piece of advice, what would it be? I'll make it two
1: because I think they kind of go – hand in hand, and if that's okay. Um, yep. The first one, I will say, for every new agent joining a brokerage, find out who are your top performing agents in the brokerage, right? And they are there. You, you will know them very quickly. Make a point of sitting with them as well and getting to know them. And the ideal behind it is not so much because you want them to send you business. That is a terrible yeah just don't don't do that. Um, the idea here is for you to learn from them um because they've been in the industry longer than you have they have seen they have tasted they know the call of the water they've been there when the market was well, they've been there when the market tank um, you may have the education you may have the the credentials on paper, but they have sold over and over and over again um, and so. Be humble enough to go and just sit with some of them um, and pick the brains. And that and I think that will do you a world of good. The second advice I will say is uh, never made the mistake of separating your personal passion from your real estate business. And I've seen this done over and over again um, where people are like, you know, I I really like cycling, but I, I don't want people to know me as a cyclist. I want people to know me as a real estate agent, to which I'm like. You get up every day, you know, or once in a while you go and you pack your bike on top of your car or behind your car. You go and you compete on races or you bike with friends or like ridiculous mileage. Nobody's paying you for it. Um, In fact, you're spending your own money, but you're so dedicated to that cause. What makes you think that the public is not going to like that in the agent? Why are you trying to distance or separate those two? together because at the core, this is what, you know, if you're saying to me that you care about my most valuable transaction, which we say it all the time, I need to know that you have passion for this. I need to know that you're here for me. What better example than to show me that, you you know, if you do it for, you know, just the sheer enjoyment of the sport, why not do it for the people you're trying to help? And so uh, that's what I mean by separating those two. Uh, like you, you an agent? Yes, you sell homes, but that's not who you are in its entirety. There's a side of you that absolutely loves skydiving, or boating, or reading, fishing. Or you love politics, and not political arguments, just politics in general. And you you involve into the local, or you're trying to get you know information on local politics and keep people informed. That's the side of you that you need to bring into the industry as well, because that's what makes it colorful. That's what makes it beautiful. And so, don't separate those two. Um, for goodness sake, do not.
0: Yeah. So, those are my two, those are my two advice. Bring that passion to your game. It's perfect. I love it. Um, That's it. Billy, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Facebook will probably be
1: better. And Twitter and the handle, basically on Facebook, you look for Billy Ecofo. And my Twitter handle is at Billy Ecofo.
0: It's just simple. And yeah, let's yes. get in touch and let's grab coffee. That's yeah. It. I have a feeling you're going to have a few contacts out of this. So I <laughs> hope you're ready. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough. I'm glad we finally had a chance to have a conversation, have a little chat together. And uh, I won't be in San Francisco. i will be celebrating my 30th wedding anniversary this summer. But Amazing. You know, I will see you in New York next, next Indeed. In January. Indeed. Thanks, Billy. You're welcome. Thank you.